In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, here as always with my co-host, executive producer, and put on your yarmulke, it's time to celebrate Hanukkah, Mike Graham. If you need therapy, you can call Ryan Teehee. Well, thank you, Adam Sandler. <laughs> Although I did set you Ooh! up for that. Yeah, I set you up for that. Ooh! Well. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Mike, here we are. Another episode of Pop Psych 101 where, well, why don't we take a step back this week and give the viewers a little bit of a behind the scenes. The listeners? The, I said viewers. You did. I know. <laughs> I, just, I just like to think that people are going to see our pretty faces. I know. It's okay. All right. It's okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think that's a good idea, actually, because this week uh, we got completely stumped by what we were going to cover. We just, it's not like we ran out of stuff, but sometimes you're just like, ah, what do you want to do? And so we turned to our actual, we have like a chat group that uh, we ran a poll in there and they helped us think of this week's topic, which is anger. Yeah, so so right here's the here's the real part of being a, doing a podcast every week, right? Is that we have a list of things that we intend to cover someday, and some weeks, you know, there's not necessarily a Oscar nominated movie that represents mental health. There's not right, necessarily right. something in the news that we feels like it's urgent that we need to cover. So, right. and we can't just cover anything either. No, I mean we can, you know, we can find ways of overanalyzing, bringing things in that are not obviously about mental health. But we also want to offer a service to our listeners and provide things that are going to be educational. So, um, <laughs> so to that end, we put up. We will frequently ask for feedback or suggestions from our mental health chat group on Facebook. So, shout yeah. out to them. We gave them four options this week, and they went with anger management. Yeah, and I'm so happy they did. Uh, and Ryan, you were mentioning that list that we have, and it's all these movies. And I think the funniest part about that list is. We almost never pick a movie or a book or a TV show from the list that we've made. That's it not always true. Comes from, well, it always comes from somewhere. Yes. <laughs> well, part of part of having the conversation with our group is that it generates more ideas for other episode ideas, which is great. So this week we we came up with anger management. And Mike, you know, I gave you the, the Adam Sandler bump up top and you would think, oh, Mike, are we doing anger management this week? Uh, are we? No. With Jack Nicholson and Adam <laughs> no. Sandler? No, we're not. So uh, really, before we jump into the episode, I want to explain why we're not doing anger management, which would be like the easiest, you know, episode title in the history of episode titles. We can yeah. just call this anger management and anger management. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. As tempting as that is. You and know, we talked about it. We did. And basically the decision we came down to was that if you've ever seen the movie Anger Management, it's ridiculous. It's a comedy, obviously. But right. um, very little of it is going to have anything useful for our listeners. So we, we wanted to tackle a movie that represented anger management issues, 
but from a more realistic, let's say, based in reality standpoint. Right. You know, and I actually have never seen anger management. So, like, is it just so off base? Yeah. <laughs> it I has mean, to be, Bobby right? Knight is in the anger management group. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, that gives you an idea. I mean, so it is, is it funny at times? Yes. It's not one of Adam Sandler's best movies and who knows, you know, if this podcast goes on for 20 years, we might have to cover anger management at some point. It's going to happen. Right. Obviously. (laughs) Um, but for this week we wanted to cover another Adam Sandler movie. And you know, it's funny if you go through Adam Sandler's, um, discography, what would, uh, his, his history, his filmography, filmography, that makes more sense. (laughs) A lot of his characters would fall under like anger management issues. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like Happy Gilmore. Yeah, He's Billy Madison. Angry. They all scream at some point or another, have a fit of some kind. But this one in particular, Punch Drunk Love, is a movie that's about a guy who could be your toilet plunger salesman, you know, and, and he, yeah. he's a real guy that's out in the world. So we're going to talk about him and some of the issues that he has and what it would be like for someone who struggles with this kind of symptom. Right, right. And so thank you so much to the group. We love you guys. Seriously, best group ever. Uh, it's a mental health support and discussion and fun group. So if you guys, if anyone wants to join that group, you just go to Facebook and look up uh, Pop Psych 101 Mental Health Chat. And that's my plug. <laughs> All right. So with that, yes, thank you to our group. Um, please join us if you're interested. And with that, let's get to the movie. What's that? We used to call you gay boy. Remember, you'd be fine, and then we'd call you gay boy. You'd just freak out. We were calling you gay, and you got so mad you threw the hammer through the sliding glass door. You remember? I don't remember that. Yes, you do. We were calling you gay boy, and you got so mad. Are you gay now? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't we were know. trying to figure out why you had a hammer in the why first place. Why did he have the hammer? Wearing that I suit. I, I, I don't know. Why have the hammer? Thank you. Are you using that dandruff shampoo I bought you? Yes. Barry. Barry. What? Barry. Why do you have the hammer? Why did I have the hammer? He was what? building a doghouse. Oh, okay, Rhonda. Happy birthday. Be casual, you know. Today we are covering the 2002 film Punch Drunk Love, starring Adam Sandler as Barry Egan, Emily Watson as Lena Leonard, and Philip Seymour Hoffman as Mattress Man. Although susceptible to violent outbursts, bathroom supply business owner Barry Egan is a timid and shy man by disposition, leading a lonely, uneventful life, partly due to the constant berating he suffers from his seven sisters. However, several events transpire that shake up Egan's mundane existence, one of which is falling in love with one sister's co-worker, Lena Leonard. But the romance is threatened when Egan falls victim to an extortionist, which is Matthew So can I just say before we jump in that I love the director, which you didn't acknowledge is Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh... I don't know much about him, but I do know that this directing was pretty phenomenal. Yeah. he. So just to give listeners a real quick rundown, The Master, um, Inherent Vice, 
Did he do Internal Sunshine? No, no, no. Um, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, which is another movie we could probably talk about. Yeah, just like a really interesting filmography. Ah, and that's funny you said that because Philip Seymour Hoffman and um, uh, Louis Guzman Guzman mm-hmm. are both in Boogie Nights and this movie. So yeah, a little so, bit of knowledge. So fascinating movie, fascinating character, fascinating like presentation of a story. I mean, it's billed as like a romantic comedy, but um, it, it's not. It's a, one of the weirdest ones. It feels more like <laughs> a, a dark comedy. But although, Mike, I mean, if we're being honest, you know, how realistic are actual romantic comedies? Isn't this a pretty... Mm, no, okay. No, I was going to no. say real. I was going to say maybe it's real, but okay, that's fine. No, not at all. As far as the, the romance is concerned, at least I thought, I thought. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. Yeah, so Barry Egan is a fascinating guy. You know, we're introduced to him in this really bizarre way. He views this car accident and then gets a... A weird little piano. (laughs) (laughs) Which, yeah, yeah, the movie just starts off crazy. He's just standing there all by himself, and then, like, a car gets into a car accident, but nothing hits it. It just starts flipping down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And then, like, really dramatically, a taxi cab van pulls up and drops off this, what is it, a harmonium? Harmonium, yes. Small piano, yes. Got it. Now, this movie is, is... filled with probably symbolism and and opportunities for us to dive really deep into what the director and and Adam Sandler's character are going through. Um, And we might do that, but I do want to tackle the the realism, the very real things of what Barry Egan is experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of as this movie gets going, you find out that he is like the owner of a, I guess they sell plungers, like a restaurant yeah, 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 like a, sort of restaurant, a hotel supply company. Yeah, yeah, like a bathroom supply business. And he seems really overwhelmed by everything. Like the first big scene that's going on is is there's just a ton happening around him. And uh, the, he's trying to sell some plungers to a couple of guys. As that's happening, uh, his sisters are calling him and asking him to come to a party. So he says, excuse me, I got to answer the phone. One sister calls. He comes back. And all while this is happening, there's stuff going on in the background and there's really loud like music that the director has chosen chosen that's playing and kind of just like driving and making everything feel intense. Then the second sister calls and a third sister calls and fourth sister shows up. Uh, someone asks him, how many sisters do you have? He says seven sisters. Uh, but I guess the thing I want to point out here and kind of stop in this section is his sisters are all terrible to him. Yes, that's that's immediately clear that yeah. they're all calling him and asking him if he's coming to this party. You know, it's apparent that neither and no one of them has talked to the other sister because they're all calling him, asking him the same question that he's getting increasingly frustrated by. I mean, they treat him kind of like he's nothing. I'm not even sure why they're inviting him, to be honest. Yeah. So one of the things I wonder that's not and this could be true for a lot of stuff in this movie that's that we don't see that we don't are not told is like where he falls in the birth order of of him and his seven sisters we don't know anything about that we don't know anything about his parents at all all we really know is that his sisters were, were pretty abusive towards him and that, that sort of opening scene when he does come into the party they're just immediately talking about the fact that they used to call him gay boy yeah at the party yeah and then well, he, he, he does end up agreeing yeah to go to the party uh even though well one thing i wanted to talk about in that oh, first yeah, sure. section was yeah. was uh when the fourth sister shows up 
and is asking him and not asking, like telling him he has to come to this party. She's going to be bringing a friend from work to meet him. Like he's clearly like really, really uncomfortable. And, and that's just him in general. He's very uncomfortable yep. and awkward and obviously is full of anxiety. Um, but he's basically says like, no, I don't want to do that. And she's just, just like, you never do anything. All you do is stay at home. And I just thought like these people are very insensitive to who this person is and could be a source of some of the anger that we see. No question. Yeah, I can't tell you how many people I work with where some belief that they have about themselves or some, um, let's say, behavioral issue comes due to the source of like family treatment, both in the present and in the past. I don't, we're not surprised that he doesn't want to go once we see what it's like there. It's like, oh my gosh, he, he walks in and he actually walks in several times because you can see he's struggling with whether or not he actually wants to stay there. Yeah, but they've guilted him. Yeah, yeah. And they're showing up. Yeah, so he shows up and they immediately are referencing this, this past incident that he had when they were calling him gay boy repeatedly. And then he's just sort of taking it and it's terrible and you can tell how uncomfortable he's getting and probably internally he's getting angry. It's sort of building. He doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to deal with this. And they referenced that when they were doing that to him, that he broke the back door at the time, I guess, when they were all kids. So it's been established that he has this anger problem going back to when he was a child. Remember when Barry freaked out? Yeah. And he smashed yeah. the window with a hammer? Mm -hmm. As if it was funny. Remember when we were verbally abusive to you and you broke, basically. And then uh, he breaks again. You know, he he try to tries to have some kind of casual interactions with his sisters and it seems like their kids or husbands. But once they're setting the table for dinner, just sort of seemingly out of nowhere, Barry breaks, uh, both literally and figuratively. He breaks all three pane, uh, plain glass uh, sliding doors behind the dining room where they're setting up uh, dinner. Right. And, and in that moment, no one even... They're not concerned about him at all. No, no. It's just like, Jesus, Barry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, that would be kind well, of Well, yeah, you're going to react to... Right. But but that, therein lies the problem, is that, yes, they very understandably react to the negative behavior, but my sense of Barry as a person is that that's when he gets attention, probably, right? Is that, oh, here, now I've gotten attention, and now I can have an actual conversation with one of the sister's husbands. Right. The dentist. Yeah. Yeah. And in that interaction, he says a line that I think is such a, a accurate encapsulation of both why people don't get help and, you know, the sort of struggle of social anxiety and anger to a certain extent. So Barry says to this dentist, uh, doctor, husband of one of his sisters, presumably, I don't know if there's anything wrong because I don't know how other people are. Hmm. And I just think that's that's so spot on in terms of, yes, you might know something's wrong in the sense that I just broke a couple of sliding glass doors like that's not a good thing to do. And he acknowledges also that he just he cries, you know, without sort of warning. No reason. Yeah. You know, and he and he the dentist sort of was like, you know, you sure I'll get you a psychiatrist referral and and Barry sort of letting this vulnerability come to the surface then does have a real emotional breakdown, puts his head in his hands, starts sobbing, and walks away. And the dentist guy doesn't know what to do. No. 
Well, and, and to be fair, he just saw this guy shatter a couple of glass doors. He might be a little apprehensive yeah. about what, what Barry is capable of. I guess my question here in the party scene uh, is what makes a person, not makes, but but how does a person like build up all these emotions to where the only way they feel like they can let it out is to do something violent? Like, I mean, that's a huge explosion it is. of something that they've been, it seems like they would have been pushing that down forever to the point where they can't control themselves. So that's the part that I want to challenge. And and this is, this is what comes up a lot when I work with patients on quote unquote anger management. And that's this notion of the loss of control. You'll hear people talk about, oh, I just blacked out or I lost it. There may be a, a, a part of truth to that. But what it really is, is it's the, the gradual escalation of like unprocessed emotion. So, you know, not only is Barry mad, which is like the surface thing that finally causes the explosion, but he's probably embarrassed. He's probably ashamed. He probably feels, you know, uh, super anxious, as we acknowledged before. So all these emotions bubbling under the surface and he doesn't feel comfortable enough to actually acknowledge any of these emotions until he's had his his blow up. Yeah. So now that now that he's blown up, oh, now it's okay for me to tell somebody that I've been crying. Um, when the reality is, that's the stuff that he needs to talk about way more consistently. Do you think that there's like you were just talking about, you know, quote unquote, helping people with their anger management? Or do you see people like in your office that come in and they kind of use anger as their main emotion? Like, that's their go-to way of communicating. Like, this isn't Barry necessarily. He only seems to explode in this situation. So I'm wondering if there's people who this is just what they present to the world always or usually. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, anger a lot of times is a hallmark of depression, especially in men. But it can also be a sign of anxiety that is sort of this built-up, built-up, built-up explosion or implosion. We think of an explosion as you know, the sort of like classic um, spousal abuser, you know, who when they blow up, they are going to hurt somebody else. And the imploder is more likely to hurt themselves or property or things that are going to be more um, personally damaging, if that makes sense. Okay. So Barry, for sure, is on that more like implosive side, you know, knowing his history, you know, he'd be more of a concern for things like self-harm or even suicide, potentially. Because oh, wow. things build up so long for him until he gets to this point of explosion or implosion. So, so yeah, a lot of concerns there. And yes, this is absolutely something I see in, in therapy with people. And one of the first questions is always sort of what I alluded to before, which is, okay, you know, you didn't say anything to your wife or to your family or to your friend or to your coworkers until you were angry. What else was going on for you? What other emotions were you experiencing? And in being able to express those other emotions, that pain, that anxiety, that embarrassment, that, that sadness, that grief, whatever the other emotion is, that's the key to reducing the anger. Because anger is, is one of the things, um, oh man, and it's, uh, so oddly enough, this is actually is a quote from anger management, <laughs> <laughs> but it's one, only, one of the only ones I like, which is yes. um, Jack Nicholson says to Adam Sandler's character, a temper is the only thing you don't get rid of by losing it. Ah. So, and that's that's very true Confucius for emotional say. expression. Yeah, which is that, you know, that sort of anger explosion. That Barry's not not angry anymore after he's broken the window, he's broken the door. He's still angry. Like, that is a fact. 
but it's just that his emotions have crested and now he can deal with the stuff that's underneath. Right. Well, it seems like in that situation, you know, I don't really experience a lot of personal anger issues, you know, probably on more on the normal scale, but it seems like if, if, if I were to get to a bubbling point where I actually acted out in anger, which I have in my life, like that would, there would be some sort of relief after the action sure. of like throwing something or, or yelling or whatever it may be. Yes. So any kind of explosion, there's going to be this sort of, um, you know, the other side of the wave, right? After the wave crests, then it starts to go down. And that's what tends to happen after uh, uh, that release of anger. And, and it's interesting. So a little bit more about me. I have been trained in what's called handle with care. So Ooh. which is a, a set of trainings to help people, um, let's say, contain themselves in emergency situations. So when I worked in inpatient treatment, you essentially get trained handle with care in case someone is a danger to themselves or a danger to anyone else. Okay. And we have... You know, within the trainings, you get to see, you know, here are the warning signs of someone who's about to explode. You know, some of the warning signs you look for, obviously, are anger, but also fear. Oh, wow. Like uh, backed into a corner. Like, mm-hmm. 100%. Okay, yeah. You know, and anxiety and fear are not that different from each other. So if. Oh, if, no, not at all. Yeah. So if Barry's anxiety is increasing, 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 um, you know, he's somebody we would look at as, oh, this guy's about to explode. We might need to be ready to handle him with care. Um, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and we can go more into his social anxiety as well, but it's in terms of this initial emotional reaction, what I thought was really interesting after this happens, now you start to see some of Barry's sort of like impulsive nature. Okay. So he's had this emotional explosion. Now he can be vulnerable with the doctor and now he, you know, he starts sort of seeking out things to make himself feel better. Oh, so yeah, the, yeah, yeah. He goes to the grocery store. He mm-hmm. finds the pudding, finds the, the, the healthy choice, you know. Okay, we have to, ex- we got to explain the pudding real quick. <laughs> so, yeah, so right after the party yeah. scene, he, you see him grocery shopping and healthy choice has a teriyaki chicken on sale for $1.79. But on the package, it says it. For every 10 packages you buy, you get 500 frequent flyer miles. However, if those are sent in during a a certain time period, they'll double them to 1,000. Okay, so Barry somehow very quickly works out that that that's like a, it's a deal, that's a cool coupon thing to get, but he finds some puddings that are only 25 cents a cup and they all have a barcode on them to turn in making it to where if he were to spend $3,000, he'd get over a million frequent flyer miles. Uh, so I had questions about this. Oh, sure, please. And, and just Barry in general, and, and I'll throw him from the abyss over here. But uh, first I wanted to say, that. so this is inspired from a real-life guy, by the way. Yes. So there really was a guy who did this, and he went even further, and this is just for fun here. He went even <laughs> further when he was turning in the pudding UPC little stickers he actually hired people from the Salvation Army to help him pull those off because he had a short amount of time. And then he wrote those puddings off as a tax deduct- deduction because he gave all the pudding to the Salvation Army. Smart well, the guy dude. didn't spend like a dime. <laughs> <laughs> and now he fly- he's still flying to this day forever. Yeah, of course. But uh, so I was just going to ask if it, um, if you saw anything going on here with Barry with his like overanalyzing of things. Uh, into the fact that he's walking through a supermarket and he's just like has to latch on and search the grocery store for this deal. 
I don't know. I just thought it seemed like there was a point for it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not in the grocery store to find a, a, a you know, a deal. He's not he's not there to look for the million miles. He's right. there because he's, you know, left the party, presumably. Right. And is probably feeling a little like emotionally exhausted. He's wiped out, probably feeling a little lonely. So it's this is where the impulsive nature of of both anger and social anxiety can come in where you can kind of latch on to things that you think are going to fill this hole of, you know, frankly, for someone like Barry, like the lack of social engagement, the yeah. lack of, of engagement with any sort of a healthy um, social interaction. Right. Because all he has is his work employees. Yes. That's about it. And his sisters, who we yeah. know are pretty abusive. So he gets the pudding. He starts getting very excited about the pudding. And then he goes home and he... I'm very sees... excited about the pudding. <laughs> yeah, and he, and he sees this phone number for essentially like a call girl line, a girlfriend phone line, right? Phone sex line. You can say it, Ryan. All right. Well, you know, uh, I, I don't know who's listening. I don't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So he calls this number. And again, this is for me as I'm watching this, it's, oh, man, you know, Barry's just had this huge, you know, emotional situation. Now he's feeling lost and empty and needs connection, needs some kind of comfort. And he calls the phone sex line, but is not looking for sex. He's just looking to talk to somebody. Right. Uh, it's funny because I, I immediately, the first time I watched it, I was like, he's looking for therapy. Mm. He, you yeah. know, and so I actually did the math. Uh, because it was $1.99 a minute. Yep. <laughs> and so I did the math, and for an hour, he'd only be paying $119. I mean, that seems pretty reasonable for a therapist. It, it, it's cheaper than self-pay without insurance. Yeah. Yep, accurate. yep. yep. Mm -hmm. So I was like, if this is the only way he can go, he's got it. Uh, yeah, so yes, he's certainly looking for, for some kind of emotional support. That's very clear. But unfortunately uh, for Barry, this girlfriend line turns very quickly into an extortion situation. Yep. And that's when we see things start to escalate for Barry emotionally as if they weren't already escalated. Yeah, he he right after that happens, uh so the the girl's name is Georgia or that's she what says her name is Georgia. <laughs> or yeah. she says her name's Georgia and she's the the lady he talks to and then the following morning uh he's about to leave for work and he gets a phone call and it's her. And at first, because the first watch through, I thought, oh, they're going to fall in love. Like, I thought this was Lena. Right. I was like, oh, okay, okay. But it's not. It's not Lena. And she says, hey, remember how I was talking about my apartment last night? Uh, I'm going to need some money for rent. And he says no. And she she won't have it and says, you know, you got to do this. And basically, that's where the harassment starts from this phone sex company. Yeah. But that takes him back to work. So he gets to work. And he's obviously, this is kind of the, the main, main scene when his anxiety is just incredibly building up. At work, uh, everything's going on around him again, and he's having this issue with the uh, phone sex people um, calling him still at work, and his workers are crashing into things with the forklift, and in walks Lena. And his, uh, his sister and Lena. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. His sister and Lena come in and Lena is her, his sister's friend from work uh, who's been wanting to meet him. 
and does come in and, and meet him. Basically, the, the sister ends up leaving and even says some really bad things about Barry when she's leaving, about how I wouldn't want to be with him anyway. He's weird. And it seems like uh, Barry's going to reject Lena. But then she comes back in amongst all this anxiety and says, hey, will you go to dinner with me tonight? Yep, it sure And does. Barry's like, yes, like right away. Mm-hmm. So you can tell he likes her. So, yeah, I want to pause here because this scene, Mike, whew, this scene where he's at work, you know, and the sister and Lena show up and all this chaos is going on. You know, I don't know if it was like this for you, but I was I was physically uncomfortable watching this scene. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. It's a, it, this is like the masterful work of, of the director where both the visuals that are happening both for Barry and around Barry, the audio the music and the sort of sound that's happening all around him is getting more and more intense almost to the point for me that it was distracting no it was i couldn't like almost comfortably watch the scene because i was like ah this is what what's happening and i think it is this is the genius of how the scene was shot and and edited right is that you really get a feel for what's happening for barry internally absolutely for someone with social anxiety and, and to obviously a certain extent anger or impulse control issues, he can't relax. He can't turn off the noise in his head. You know, he's probably constantly, and, and obviously while they're there, he's also getting these harassing phone calls from the, the phone sex line, right? Yeah. So all these things are happening at once and he can't tune it out to just sort of be present and engage with Lena. He can't be present with his workers. And he can't certainly can't be present to like effectively deal with the extortion that's happening to him. Yeah, it's just too much for him. Way too much. And it's like, uh, like you said, that music's just so loud and everything. I mean, yeah, it was when I was watching it, I I felt overwhelmed. Yeah. So if for anyone who wants to know what it's like to have social anxiety or to have like the sort of bubbling impulse building up inside of you watch the scene um, when Lena and and Barry's sister come to visit him at work because it is, it's actually uncomfortable. Like, it's almost like, it a, you know, I want to do a, a punch drunk love challenge where it's like, watch this scene and tell me you're not anxious afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to Adam Sandler's credit, like, yeah. he played that so well too. Well, the whole movie, he's so fidgety and like, he can't, he can't stop really. Can't keep um, eye contact, Yeah. But it's not like this manic feeling. It's this like horribly anxious feeling. Yes. And uh, also to the credit of the director, um, he actually had the composer show up and compose it while he was shooting. Yeah. And and that comes through because as you're watching the sort of escalation of events around Barry, the music is getting more intense and more frantic and you can really feel it start to affect him. You know, and, and I think it's probably a good opportunity for us to hear talk a little bit about social anxiety. Because at this this scene especially is where it feels the clearest that Barry is very uncomfortable in social situations. Oh, yeah. So if that's sort of our working diagnosis of Barry, I think it's useful for the listeners to get a sense of what social anxiety or what's also known as social phobia actually looks like. Because obviously it can affect a lot of areas of your life, not just, you know, interacting with people in social situations. And And I think to the director's credit and the movie's credit... Yes, he has social anxiety problem, but he also owns a business. Yeah. And throughout this movie, yes, he struggles, but he also is able to, in the end, have a successful relationship. Yeah, yeah. And even when he's uh, selling those plungers, mm-hmm. he, he's actually, I noticed, 
Like he's very fidgety throughout the whole movie until he's talking to that guy and he's like stoically selling this thing to him. Yeah. So he is able to focus. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So for people with social anxiety, you know, in social situations, there's this, you know, overwhelming fear of being judged, being embarrassed, humiliated, and they might have, you know, physical symptoms, um, blushing, sweating, shaking, rapid heartbeat, uh, muscle tightness, you feel pain in your chest, um, dizziness, lightheadedness, stomach trouble, feeling like you can't catch your breath. So, so these are real physical symptoms. And it's clear in some situations that Barry is that physically uncomfortable. Yeah. And that he, you know, actually runs or tries to avoid interacting with people when he's feeling that way. Yeah. Or like his brow sweating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fidgeting. Yep. Yeah. So and so if someone's experiencing these symptoms over uh, an extended period of time and, and it's causing them, you know, significant distress in forming relationships, they would probably be given a diagnosis like this, like social anxiety disorder. So I think that's useful for people to hear. Um, and it's certainly something that I've helped people with in therapy. And so that leads us to where they they meet at the restaurant. And they meet at the restaurant and he tells the disc jockey joke. Yeah. Just terrible. D- DJ Justice. <laughs> yeah. But she laughs. You know, she likes him. Yes. Yeah, it's clear. It seems like she it's weird about her. Uh, and I, I have questions about her because she likes him before she meets him. Well, yeah. So the 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 opening scene, she actually like does this little fake drop her car off thing at his next to his office just to meet him. Right. Because she saw a picture of him at yeah. uh, at the office with his sister. It's like Barry can do no wrong in her eyes, but like immediately. It's not like they've been in love for 10 years and he has these problems and she's learned to love or not learned, but loves him through them. Mm -hmm, Sure. But she's just like, okay, (laughs) I don't know. She's just (laughs) like, you can do whatever you want. But yeah, so they're having that conversation at the table. Yeah. And she she starts to bring up a lot of the conversations that she had had with his sisters about him. And it's again, you can start he you can start to see Barry get very physically uncomfortable and he tries to refute them like, oh, I'm not I'm not everything my sisters say that I am. And it's building, it's building, it's building. And again, this point of he's not saying, you know, I don't want to talk about my sisters. He's not saying um, I, you know, I, I'm actually really uncomfortable when my sisters get brought up or when I think about what they say about me. He's not saying, you know, I'm embarrassed by them. Um, or they hurt me, you know, the things that I've done came as a result of them them treating me, you know, really in a way that I didn't appreciate. Because he's not saying anything, the anger starts to build up and show up itself again. He excuses himself, he goes to the bathroom, and he destroys the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, punches through the, like, the bathroom stall door, rips things off the wall. I mean, it's pretty, pretty brutal. And like you're saying about his sisters and stuff, I had a question from earlier as far as like people operating with anger like this, is this something that you've seen is usually a result of like things that happened in their childhood, like in a Freudian way? Does so I wouldn't, sense? yeah, I wouldn't go so I wouldn't go as far as saying Freudian. Um, but Mike, you and I have talked about EMDR and I've sung the praises of EMDR on this show before. And it's for exactly for reasons like this, that it's not so much, Freudian that, you know, Barry's issues with his sisters are complex in that way, but that because of his interactions with his sisters, and I'm assuming here with to a, a certain degree with his parents as well, that he didn't have 
like a healthy relationship with his emotions since he was a kid. So a, a presumed belief that Barry might have about himself might be something like, my feelings don't matter, or people can do or say whatever they want to me and no one's going to stop them. You know, if, right. if, again, if his parents who, if they were even around, like we don't even know really right. what the parent situation was. Um, but let's, you know, another example might be maybe the example that was set for Barry was that his father was an, an angry or abusive guy. Well, right. That's what I was going to say was, yeah. why do the seven women in his life treat him this way? They don't seem to treat each other that way. It's just to Barry. They all treat him like the, you know, it's so funny, actually, because he's. they say when he throws the hammer when he's a little kid through the window, he was building a doghouse. Yes. And they treat him like the family dog. Yeah, that's a, it's a fair point because, you know, there's there's just no consideration given to him from an emotional standpoint. Like, it's it's sad for me to see because I work with a lot of families, obviously. And, you know, in situations like this, you know, getting the family on board with understanding their their actions and how they impact him. And it's not just, oh, Barry's so weird. You know, why is he wearing a suit for the fourth day in a row? You know, why is he, you know, what's wrong with him? And it's like, well, no one's taking a step back and saying, you know, I wonder how Barry's feeling. Yeah. You know, it seems like something might be wrong. You know, even when the sister comes with Lena to the office, it's, did you try to get uh, an appointment with a psychiatrist? And it's like, it's coming from a point of not of concern, but like shock and, and, and disgust. And I was so sad for, for Barry in that moment. Because it wasn't the sister coming in to say like, oh, like, we're glad that you went and, and asked for help. But like, but that she's like ashamed of him or embarrassed that she would that he would ask this question of one of their husbands. Well, I'm just wondering, and I guess, you know, we're talking about overanalyzing because it's hard not to on this movie. But like, wh where does their anger to him come from? And you were mentioning like maybe the father was an angry person. Yeah, so that's that's certainly possible. Um, you know, I've worked with families where there was an abusive parent, and very frequently there will be very different responses to the abusive parent. So some of the children, let's say, especially if the children, you know, cause as terrible as this is, a lot of times the abusive parent will have like either their spouse or specific kids that they will single out in their abuse. Mm. So if... I don't know, let's say, and this is just obviously we're, we're making stuff up here because we don't know from the movie. But let's say that um, Barry's dad uh, showed him some favoritism and maybe he, you know, was abusive either verbally or emotionally to the mom and to a certain extent to uh, daughters. And then Barry shows up and it's like, oh, finally a son. You're my favorite son. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, you're, you're, you can do no wrong in my eyes. So now the sisters may have some resentment for him. And thus treat him out of out of that resentment. So that that's a possible explanation for why a family dynamic like this might exist. Well, I mean, it, that that to me makes complete sense. Like, oh, the the son's finally here, and I'm gonna treat him like the king of the castle. And then you have these seven sisters. Because I just assumed Barry was the youngest. I did too. Like yep. they just kept having kids until a son popped out. You know. Yep. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that would make a lot of sense there. Uh, Overanalyzing. I mean, honestly, and there are a lot of ways to overanalyzing that. That doesn't feel like we're going too far. We could go a lot further. <laughs> but yeah, because I think it's important to understand family dynamics. And and it's important, you know, and, and we can start to talk a little bit about, you know, really treating anger and trying to overcome anger issues. 
because for me, one of the most effective sort of skills that I work with people on anger with is, is what's called opposite emotion action. So this is a dialectic behavioral therapy skill, and you identify the negative emotion that you struggle with, and you think of the emotions opposite. So Michael, I'll just ask you, um, what's the opposite of anger for you? Uh, calmness. Okay, sure. So if you were... Is that an emotion? Uh, we might say relaxed or, I, or, or serene, peaceful or... Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Totally fine. To be fair, there's, there's no wrong answers to whatever your opposite emotion is. So if you're angry at someone and if you were to treat them in a uh, serene or calm way, what would that look like? I would speak quietly mm-hmm. and uh, kindly. Sure. Quiet and kind. Sure. So I'm glad you said kindly, because one of the, the opposite emotions that comes up for me when I think about anger, the opposite of anger would be empathy. So like instead of being angry at someone, you might empathize with where they're coming from. Okay, yeah. So with Barry in this sort of scenario that we painted, um, if he's angry at his sisters for treating him this way, and let's say hypothetically speaking, his sisters were emotionally or even physically abused by his father... We would say, okay, Barry, can you find it within yourself to empathize with them in that moment so that you can be angry at their behavior, but empathize with their emotional, let's say, um, standing, right? And if he can do that, if he can say, you know, I'm not okay with the way they're treating me, but I know that they've experienced a lot of abuse too. So yeah. now we can kind of connect on this emotional moment and move past this sort of petty anger, treating and teasing each other stuff, you know, really inappropriately. So, the, and there are a lot of skills similar to that, but basically this idea of regulating your emotions through identifying the emotions opposite. But is it really fair to put that whole task onto Barry? Uh, so, no, but the reality is we can't control Barry's sisters. So if I have Barry in the room, all we can do is come up with ways for Barry to interact with his own emotions in a way that's going to be more successful and prevent him from having these outbursts. Right. Like almost a way to protect himself in a healthy way. Yes. Now, now would this also, I guess I know therapists don't give advice necessarily, mm -hmm. but would this be an encouragement to help him be able to then speak his mind when his sisters are are berating him and belittling him. And, and so he can say, you can't talk to me that way. I'm your brother and I love you and you should love me too. And you make me feel bad. So yeah, if that's how Barry feels, I would absolutely advocate for him to, uh, to say those things. Because as, as I said before, getting to the pain or whatever the emotion is underneath the anger is going to be a way more effective way for him both to express his own emotions and to potentially connect with his sisters on what's really happening for all of them. Yeah. So it's not so much I would give that advice as just say, you know, like, Barry, before you exploded, like, how were you really feeling? And could we could we find a way to to sort of intercept the explosion and to deal with the, the sort of under the current emotions. Right. Okay. So I wanted to figure out how you would deal with this next situation that comes up in the movie. Uh, so it kind of moves forward with the whole extortion plot. At one point they do find him uh, by his house because they're sent by the mattress man. Yep. <laughs> uh, he rounds up four blonde guys to go find Barry and get his money. And he gets, you know, he gets punched in the face 
and he gives him $500 and he's very upset about it. He says, this is a lot of money to me. And, um, and they start chasing him and he dives over a railing head first. And that's a whole different thing. <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen the movie, it's a real weird section, but it, it comes back around to, this is a long reach here, but he goes to Hawaii with Lena and they begin falling in love with each other. When they come back from Hawaii together, they are driving in a car and the four blonde guys uh, run into their car, which is like the worst way to catch somebody. Let's destroy our own vehicle. But they run into the car and Lena cracks her head. And at this point, Barry loves Lena. He looks over. She's bleeding from the temple and he loses it. But it's a little different here because you're kind of like on his side at this point. Oh, yeah. But he gets out of the car and he pummels the guys. Oh, yeah. You know, and as a movie watcher, you're like, yeah, you know, take yeah, it's it. It's like a tri triumphant moment. Yeah. yeah and, it, and it is like he's defending himself. Mm hmm. Like realistically. But my question about this scene was someone with an anger issue. And obviously you said Barry's implosive. Uh, yes. And uh, yeah, this, this moment is pretty explosive. If this is yes. explosive. So <laughs> yes. he explodes on them, but for someone that's either implosive or explosive and they physically harm someone, whether it's in self-defense or not, like where, where do you stand on that? And how do you deal with that? So yeah, it's tough because as a therapist, you're not actually with them in these moments, right? This is the kind of thing that, you know, Barry would come into my office and say, so something happened. <laughs> and then we would get the story in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. And and we would have a conversation around how obviously he felt like he was in danger and Lena's life was in danger. And this is what he did to protect him and Lena and defend himself. So um, my position at that point, you know, would be, you know, are you safe now? Is Lena safe now? Did you call the police? Which he never does. To be clear, to which Barry never does in the course of all of these events. Barry never calls the police, um, which is generally something I would advocate for when you're being extorted or your life is being threatened. Call the police. <laughs> He's too scared. I know. I know. Um, but like generally, not even of the extortionist. He's just too scared to call the police to tell on them. Right. Because it's this whole thing back to self-advocacy where it's not okay for him to to ask for what he needs, which in this case is to someone to help him, you know, protect him and help him out of the, the situation that he's in. So, so to answer your question, um, you know, I would never advocate for someone to pummel someone <laughs> else, but I certainly advocate for people protecting themselves in whatever they whatever manner they feel that they need to in the moment it's it's hard and this is the this is the point that i struggle with with this movie is that it because it is a sort of vindictive moment they're portraying Barry's actor now as like almost like the superpower the skill like he's harnessed it because he's in love with Lena yeah. and he can use his anger for good by defeating those who would oppose him now his anger <laughs> is his strongest point instead of something that's bringing him down yeah, and listen, I mean, in the realm of anger uh, explosions, you would much rather use your anger for self-defense than property damage or, or self-harm or all these other things. So is it better that he's protecting himself and Lena? Yes. That being said, it's not a good thing that, you know, that uh, Barry is still struggling with this anger issue. Right. In fact, far from it, you know, if the lesson that Barry takes away is that anger for him is good, 
that he sort of needs to use his anger to to protect himself and protect his his wife um or not well girlfriend i guess at the time then that's a very dangerous lesson right because now the slightest threat whether it comes from his sisters or people he interacts with at work he's like oh well you know what solves my problems my anger so now i get to explode verbally or physically with the expectation that that's going to give me what i want and it's a very dangerous you know belief to form for someone who's naturally an anxious person so we have barry that did this in sort of a self-defense way. Yes. And it's still not the best way to deal with the situation. However, how do you handle someone in your office that is somebody that... Okay, so I knew people in high school that I'd never wanted to be at like a party with because you knew they were going to beat somebody up. Sure. If you were to have someone in your office like that you knew was just out there beating people up because of their anger, how do you... Like, how do you start? Like, what do you do? Like, what's, and I know we can't have another two hour podcast here, but like, where is like the basics of that? So we're starting with assuming that the person knows that they do this and wants to stop. Number one, right? Because a lot of the times the problem with people who present with anger is that they don't necessarily see what they do in these angry moments as problematic. They, a lot of times it feels very justified. Barry unlike that, does does have a little bit of a self-awareness that what he's doing is not good. Yeah. So he's unlikely to be that person that goes around and beats people up at parties. Right, he's but a little embarrassed by it. Yes. But to answer your question, you know, assuming someone has this problem and is self-aware enough to want to change, you know, part of the, the process is identifying that first thought, that first trigger of, oh, here I go again, I'm, I'm heading to that place where... I might describe it as blacking out, even though my therapist, Ryan, would say there's no such thing. (laughs) Um, You know, and being able to identify that first moment and then inserting, you know, something that interrupts that process, whether that's a mindfulness skill, a coping skill, just leaving the party, you know, whatever it is. But because we need to create that space in between the triggering event and your reaction or your response to it. So that takes time because, you know, someone who has this sort of behavior is is usually fairly ingrained for lots of different reasons. Yeah, is it as a complicated one? Yeah. Okay, so we have next so he beats the guys up. Yep. He doesn't pummel them, but he definitely well, he hits one guy with a crowbar. That's pretty crazy. We don't know how much damage was done to these guys. Yeah, yeah. but now he's he's lost it as far as his ability to take it anymore and he's not going to sit down another second. So he gets a hold of Georgia and Georgia answers the phone. He calls her and he's like, you know, I'm going to call the police. And I mean, he's going off. He's screaming. And again, at this point in the movie, you're like, yes, you know, like he's he's <laughs> yeah. giving him what for. Mm-hmm. But she she gets scared because she she can tell that this guy means business now. And she's no longer she's like, I want out, you know. So she's like, let me direct you to my manager. And that's the mattress man. Yep. And who's played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. And as usual, awesome. Yep. Great actor. But Mattress Man answers the phone. And I had I had this whole thing happening here when I watched this scene where Mattress Man is just as angry as Barry is. Like they're they're they are anger rivals. Like they both hit the same level of anger in this scene. It's and like uh, Mattress Man almost doesn't even make sense 
Like some of the things he's saying, he just shut up. He just keeps yelling shut up like over and over and over. Like he has no yep. like intelligent way to say anything. So Barry is holding the phone in his hand and Mattress Man hangs up and Barry loses it. He rips the phone cord with the phone in hand and apparently gets on a plane because the next thing you see is now Barry is in Utah and the phone is still in his hand. And he goes in, he finds Mattress Man and Georgia there together, lo and behold, and uh, goes and confronts Mattress Man and tells him, like, this stops now. You tell me now, that's that. Mm -hmm. So Mattress Man does. He concedes the fact that, because uh, he says, I, or I'm going to beat you, or I'm going to beat you up or whatever. And so yeah. Ma Mattress Man is like, okay, this guy, I'm not going to mess with him anymore. Let's him go. So he goes here and... My question here is, is this anger at this point? Is he is this an angry scene or or is he just standing his ground? Because he doesn't do anything physically. He raises his voice, but is that uncalled for? I don't think so, always. And he tells the guy, you know, leave me alone. Now he did threaten him. Yes. And, but the guy steps down, so it, it looks like they're trying to portray the fact that Barry has now controlled his rage. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just really interesting scene that could go either way uh, for me as a therapist where yes, he doesn't hurt anybody, break anything. He does threaten, but this is the most in control that we see Barry. Yeah. The most, the most self-assured that we see Barry. Yep. He, he's very clear on what he wants. And I think he even says, like, I have a woman who I love, and that is more powerful than anything you can do to me. Some some line like yeah. that, basically. And that's real. I think that's, that's you know, for someone who experienced social anxiety and, and anger or impulse issues for the majority of his life, to feel that acceptance and that validation from someone else, um, who, as you said, you know, he does all these things to, to all these people. And, like, Lena has no problem with it you know she's yeah. a little confused why he's not in the hospital when she wakes up but yeah. other than that well, she even that, she, uh, she totally supports him yeah 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 and they're even about to you know do the do yeah and he looks at her and says i want to slam your face with a sledgehammer <laughs> and I, was, yeah, I think that's in hawaii yeah yeah, that's yeah. In hawaii. yeah yeah and that's again that's his like this is the way he you know and uh, mike are you familiar with the concept of um cuteness aggression no this is another one of those things that you're so it is one of those things where it's like um when you see a cute puppy or kitten and you just want to squish them oh okay okay so that's my three-year-old with everything uh, you want to squish your three-year-old no no, no he wants, wants to, to squish, squish everything yeah yeah all right well i had to make sure i had to make sure you want to <laughs> squish your child um so yeah, so it's the same concept of like, we don't know how to relate to this thing that we love so much. So for for Barry, it's just like, I want to, what do you say, smash your head with a sledgehammer. sledgehammer yeah. <laughs> and she doesn't like immediately push him off and walk out the door. She's like, she says something very she, similar okay, back no, no, to she him. Says, she says, I want to rip your eyeballs out and suck on them. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, my God, someone's speaking my language and isn't afraid of me and isn't making fun of me. And that I have to say, for someone who has social anxiety, is such incredible validation, such incredible acceptance that for me, I wasn't super surprised that we start to see Barry 
more in control of his emotions. Because now that he's been seen and accepted by someone who he loves, he can be a little bit more confident and he can be a little bit more self-advocating in situations where he might not have otherwise been. Hmm. So, so do you think he did the right thing at the mattress man's lair? I mean, my personal opinion, again, is always to call the police. I trust the police, even if they shouldn't always be trusted, especially in movies, I guess, right? But um, but other than not calling the police, yes, I think he self-advocated and, and protected his interests as well as he could have. Let's put it that way. Okay. In the situation that he was in and with the history that he has. Because in this, and this is sort of my diversion into some of my own experiences with social anxiety. Because what he has in this experience, both with Lena and with some of the interactions with the, the sort of henchman from Mattress Man, is he has what we would think of as a corrective experience. So historically, his anxiety and his anger have led to really arguably minor but negative consequences. You know, he breaks doors at his sister's um, home and they're very angry with him. He breaks a, ba- a bathroom at a restaurant and they get kicked out. So not serious consequences, but things he would not otherwise want to happen. Right. And then and then his anger and anxiety are accepted um, by someone he loves. And it's okay for him to acknowledge the weird things that he thinks and feels. And he's not judged. He's not turned away. He's not rejected. He's accepted and loved, frankly, even more. And she acknowledges some of her own weird things that she's done and and said and feels. So that corrective experience allows him to interact with his own emotions in a healthier way. Yeah. I guess this would be where I can chime in and finally say, and I relate. Uh, Yeah, well, we both do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like, so with my wife, right? Uh, you know, this so many year long, years long struggle with mental health it has been hard. And I was definitely very embarrassed and very just not. Con- I mean, as I got older, my confidence level started dropping very much when I was. A, I remember being a teenager and having like this crazy confidence. Right. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And my mental health stuff started late teens, 19 ish. Okay. And as my 20s progressed, my self confidence started going further and further and further down. Since then, I've met my wife, obviously married, two kids, and she embraces all of my weird stuff, whether that be panic attacks or, you know, hypomanic sessions or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And now it's like that self-confidence just only creeps up. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to be afraid to be myself anymore. So Lena is pretty awesome for Barry. <laughs> yeah, no question. Yeah. Even though we, we're sort of wondering, like, what her deal is. Yeah, like, the yeah. reality is that is that Barry doesn't care. We yeah. don't. Barry doesn't wonder. Barry is just uh, in love and obviously very appreciative of the validation that Lena offers him. You know, and I can I can relate too. I mean, both in terms of my wife who embraces all of my quirky things and interests <laughs> and supports all the things that I do, <laughs> but also um, the the sort of progression that I had from high school to college, similar to your own in some ways. But in in high school, and I've talked about the move and moving from New Jersey to Maryland, and when I was in seventh grade, and then going into high school, basically like super socially anxious. Right, like didn't have a a lot of friends um, 
And as you can imagine, you know, I'm, I'm sort of an introspective person who always, you know, is wondering what other people are thinking or feeling <laughs> or doing. Yeah, so obviously. That, <laughs> those traits are not things that, that suit yourself well to like interacting in a, uh, you know, a, <laughs> a normal way. I hate, I hate to say normal, but like what, what felt to me like a normal way in high right. school. So shout out to all my friends in high school and the people that were kind to me, because I'm sure I didn't always make that easier for people. Um, but I kind of carried that social anxiety with me, you know, through high school and then into college. And when it started to change for me, honestly, was both meeting my wife and also a job. So, you know, I talked okay. before about um, Barry's corrective experience. So my corrective experience was I had social anxiety, but despite that, I took a job as a uh, desk assistant at a dorm. So they, I don't even know if these jobs still exist because now we have all these like computer things. But I sat at a front desk at the dorm. And when you wanted to enter the dorm, you had to give me your student ID. And I swiped it <laughs> on the machine. <laughs> and then I clicked the button that opened the door. Is this like 20 year old Ryan? Uh, yeah, basically 2021. 20, so it was just a job, I, you know, minimum wage gave me something to do in my junior and senior year of college. And it was the perfect thing for my social anxiety. And that was because I had a lot of repetitions of social interactions with people where even if I thought, oh, I don't think that person likes me or I wonder what they're thinking of what I'm wearing today or I think I feel really tired. I wonder if anybody notices all those like social anxious thoughts over time, you know, when you have essentially hundreds of interactions with people and they start being friendlier to you, ask you how you're doing, you know, tell you things that like, oh, you're one of our favorite DAs yeah. or or like I did with my wife who lived in the dorm I worked in. Oh, no. um, you start to develop relationships yeah. with the people that, <laughs> that you know, um, and it's like, OK, you know, even though I'm having all these anxious thoughts, like no one's rejecting me. No one's treating me weird. Everyone just seems really accepting. It's so like, it's like exposure therapy. Exactly right. So I had a lot of validation and over time, I was just able to just sort of accept myself that, yes, even though I'm internally anxious and sort of doubting, you know, myself in a lot of these situations, people don't like people are very accepting and supportive of me. And over time, I was able to sort of accept their viewpoint and try to discount my own internal social anxiety. So these corrective experiences are incredibly powerful. And for people with, you know, anxiety or even anger issues, being able to seek those sort of opportunities out you know, even if it's scary, even if it makes you feel vulnerable, those experiences are going to be the things that help you see yourself and your environment differently. Real quick, do you think with all that, though, you were also in college and working on your your degree to be a social worker or therapist? Don't you think that also played a role in helping that because you were learning so much about, you know, how people think already? And so you were able to apply what you were learning to yourself? No. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Perfect answer. Um, and, and the reason why is that, yes, I was learning all these like concepts. Um, but and I think most therapists would say this, that the real application and the real insight that you get doesn't really start until you start working. Yeah. It's easy to say, like, this is what depression is and this is what anxiety is. But until you're in the room with somebody, until you're doing the work, until you're working with a supervisor and developing this, 
you know, really this working relationship with um, people who are struggling with these issues, that's when the real insight that you're talking about comes. Yeah. So yeah, I had, you know, I had um, certainly good relationships with my professors and, you know, learned a lot, but that was not stuff that I was ready to sort of apply to myself for a while. Makes sense. Absolutely. Okay. We have to do our ratings. It's time. Yes. Time for ratings. If you haven't listened before, every week Ryan and I rate what we're covering on a scale of one to five. Ryan rates on a scale of one to five for accuracy, and I rate on a scale of one to five for how much I like something. Ryan, what do you got? So this week, Mike, I'm going out of five harmoniums, because what a cool instrument and what a cool name for an instrument. Yeah, 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 which we didn't get to talk about enough, but that's fine. Yeah, look out later this week for something else, maybe overanalyzing or who knows <laughs> what we're going to do. But basically... You know, I struggle with this one, and I know I say this all the time now, um, but it's true because the reality in any portrayal of mental health is there are always like kernels of truth. There's there's kernels and probably pretty big ones um, with Barry of what, yes, this is absolutely what social anxiety looks like. And with the music aspect of how the director sort of incorporated what it might be like to feel um, this sort of anxiety was really cool, frankly, even though it was uncomfortable. So because of that, um, can I go 3.5 harmoniums? You're so funny. Yes. Um, You're so funny. <laughs> because it's, <laughs> it's so, because there, obviously there are aspects of this movie that feel completely unrealistic, which we can get into as well. But, but basically, you know, I thought there was enough that was really valuable here. And especially in some of the interactions that Barry had, you know, with the sisters and in other social interactions, that this definitely looks like social anxiety and also an anger management control problem. Um, but there's enough like weird yeah. stuff that I couldn't go full for. Weird <laughs> indie film stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay, so it's so it's really funny that you used the point scale this week. Okay. Because I also have a I also already plan to use a point. Okay, that's okay. Okay, and I'll tell you why. All right. All right. So I'm gonna do one out of five blue suits. Uh, because for some reason, uh Barry shows up in a blue suit, and apparently it's the first time he's ever worn a blue suit. And that's the only thing he wears the whole movie. And that's the only thing. So that was also <laughs> one of those weird things. Like, what's going on with Barry in the blue suit? Yeah. So, I couldn't. That's that's one thing I couldn't overanalyze. I couldn't figure out an explanation for that. I have one, but not okay. now. Not now. Okay. Okay. okay so so um, I'm going to go with a 3.8 out of 5. Oh, okay. And the reason I went with a point scale this week was because it wasn't a 3. Because that just means it's neutral and like I could go either way. But this movie was rewatchable for me. Like I said, mm, I watched sure. it twice uh, mm -hmm. and I enjoyed it both times, but it wasn't a five and it wasn't quite a four. So you get 3.8. Uh, I will say Adam Sandler was, I thought it was amazing in it. I always love when comedians do the more serious stuff when there's not a lot that are really good at it, but we've got a few. And when he does serious stuff, I really like it. The directing was like amazing. It won, I think it won an award at the Cannes Festival. Is that Cannes or Cannes? Cannes. Cannes. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Uh, yeah, so it won an award there. The music, the guy who did the score was amazing. Like I said, he was on set yeah. to help with that. He didn't do it like with the raw footage or anything like that. Like he was there and the director was showing him like what kind of beats he was looking for. And he actually wrote the score. He used the harmo harmonium it's in almost the whole movie in the, in the music. So 
Anyway, just a, just a good just a good movie. Not great. Yeah, if you if you haven't seen it, yeah. you should watch it because yeah. it's such a unique movie watching yeah. experience. It's, it's worth a watch. So, yeah. Okay, everyone, make sure that you stick around for Ryan's final thoughts. Very important. But before we do that, we have to thank Kevin McLeod for all the music that we use on the show. You can find Kevin and his royalty-free music at incompetech.com. Ryan, thanks for talking with me every week. Thank you. Okay, so that was a weird movie with an incredibly relevant topic in Punch Drunk Love starring Adam Sandler. Here are a couple of closing thoughts before we go. First of all, even though expressing anger often feels totally justified, it is rarely effective in helping to address the real emotions bubbling just underneath the surface. In fact, anger will often exacerbate problems that we are experiencing because we aren't addressing other emotions like pain, grief, embarrassment, or anxiety. And those original problems are likely to just reoccur, like they do with Barry. As we mentioned in the episode, childhood family interactions can have a huge impact on how people see themselves and how they fit into the world. It takes time, but validation, acceptance, and loving relationships, like the one Barry finds with Lena, can have a huge impact on people being able to relate and interact in a healthy way. Finally, social anxiety can feel like it is impossible to overcome, but things like exposure therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, and mindfulness skills can make a huge difference in quieting the noise and being able to interact in social situations comfortably. Barry had the right idea in looking for someone to talk to, and if these are issues that affect you, getting support can be the first step towards a significant life change. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you, as always, to my co-host and executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are everywhere at poppsych 101 We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give us feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych 101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. Poppsych 101 is now on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us share these discussions about mental health, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe wherever you listen. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.